0: My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out that only male toads croak. It's like female toads are like, can you just, can you just calm down? Say less, but no, but really just say less. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the uh, tasting director of Vine Pair? Yeah. We're going to go to a place that's new to you. And if it's not, it's really cool. It's called El Bierzo, and it's Spanish wine. But it's different than the other stuff that you know. It's so good. Today's episode is sponsored by Purepan an Italian family who has been making wine since the 1800s. They were the first to make Puro Suave, known as one of the best white wines of Italy. Puro Suave Classico is crafted in a historic zone and aged well for five or more years. Try a taste of winemaking history. Visit thebarrelroom.com. So wine lovers, when we think about Spain and we think about wine... I know, I don't know where you are, again, on your wine journey and what you are, where you are with your Spanish wine knowledge, but often when we think about Spanish wine, the first thing is Rioja. And when we're thinking about Rioja, we think about the grape Tempranillo. And the grape Tempranillo is sort of Spain's, not, well, you can say a workhorse grape, but it's also the most planted red wine grape in the country. And that's not only evidenced by data, but it's also evidenced by the fact that the Tempranillo grape, depending on where you are in Spain, can have different names. And although it is under different names, and although it does represent or present itself in different ways through different styles of wine that are made from this grape throughout Spain, sometimes, you know, it's blended with other varieties. Um, there's also Garnacha, which is a kind of a big deal in Spain, but... In the province of Castilla y León, which we talked about last episode with Ribera del Duero, in its upper northwest quadrant, kind of going towards northwest Spain, is a place, a a wine appellation, but also just a place that is part of the Castilla y León province. But this place things start to change dramatically in the wine landscape and geographical, geological landscape. Here, we are beginning what's called Green Spain. It's part of the country that's highly affected by the climate of the Atlantic Ocean. And what's really interesting is El Bierzo, which is this, this wine appellation, this place, it's, it's close to and borders the last province before you get to the Atlantic Ocean called Galicia. And it's administratively located in Castilla y León, but it has much more um, in common with what's happening in Galicia and what's really cool about this is I said Tempranillo is all over the place and everything like that, but as you get to the Galicia, the wines begin to change. And then from Galicia, which is very close to Portugal, things are very similar there, but not really. but like this is an entire area where different varieties thrive. And the province of Galicia, or Galicia, um, that name, if you take the last two letters off, is Gaelic. Because this was initially, or before the Romans got to this area, this was a Celtic place. It was the home of a, uh, what they call a Celtic Hispano tribe called the Austeres. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. And the reason I say this is, to this day, the bagpipe is a very popular instrument in Galicia but also in El Bierzo. And the reason why I'm saying this is with the Atlantic climate to the west of El Bierzo and the more plateau-like climate of the, the majority of Castilla y León, El Bierzo is an isolated place that has its own unique soil, its own unique climate, and its own unique geography separate from everything around it. If you were to look at a geological map of El Bierzo, you would see this big green circle. And surrounding that circle is just mountains. This place is surrounded on all sides by mountains. And these mountains regulate the climate and weather in this little place. It is it is kind of a halfway point between what we see in the rest of Castile Leon and what we see in Galicia. And it just seems so isolated and it is. But the history here is a little bit different than isolation because when the Roman Empire got to this land, they obviously conquered this Celtic tribe. And when they got into this valley was surrounded by mountains, they realized there's nothing but precious metal ready to be unearthed. And this area became a major mining, actually the largest mining operation in the Roman Empire. And it's thought that this is when vines make it to this area that is now called El Bierzo. But at the time, it was a Roman, uh, I guess it's a Roman province or a Roman area. They call it, uh, again, I don't know. This is old Latin. I'm pretty bad at this. But it's called Bergidum, B-E-R-G-I-D-U-M. This was the mining colony, mining area for the Roman Empire. We're talking silver, gold, all this stuff. And it's actually, because it's all surrounded by mountains— there's a river that runs through this area we'll talk about in a second. And that river sometimes can have gold deposits from the alluvial displacement of the mountains still to this day. And then after the Roman empire, of course, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the monks, the monks come in and they start working with, they build monasteries and do what do they? with monks do, you know, and they find that the vines here really thrive in these, Soils, which are primarily, because this is a mining area, so the soils are primarily slate and granite. And it's here in the Middle Ages with the monks that this place really began to thrive, because we talked about this in previous episodes about wine. There are all these pilgrimage routes. Some go to Canterbury, some go to this peninsula-like place at the edge of northwestern Spain, called Santiago de Compostela. This is this place is a shrine to St. James. He's one of the apostles. And it's thought that he's buried here. So throughout the Middle Ages, a lot of people took a pilgrimage from wherever they were, making their way towards this place in Spain that they called Finisterra, or the end of the world. Because the Romans at that point, when you look off in this cliff you can't see anything and they thought this was the end of the world as they knew it. And even though this route was initially a Roman trade route before that, it was a route used by the Celtic people, but when mid- the, when the Middle Ages happened, it was all about, you know, Christianity. So the thing about these routes and we've talked about this again like in the pa- in past episodes in certain certain wine regions, this if you're on this route, you are going to thrive because so many people are walking towards this place. And along that route was the capital city of El Bierzo called Ponferrada. And it's on the river Sil, S-I-L. And that river, the name Sil is thought to be a very old Latin word for humid run because the weather here is a little bit different. We're getting into what's green Spain. There's going to be more moisture in the air. Actually, the Sill River is a tributary of the Minho River, which when we get into Portugal, it becomes the Minho River, which is part of the Minho province. And go back to the Portugal episode, I got a whole thing on that. But from the River Sill and then the flatlands from that going up into the mountains, this is where the Bierzo wine region started to developed through the Middle Ages. And from the Middle Ages until the 19th century, there was a thriving wine industry here. But then Phylloxera comes and destroys everything. Now, I said it's kind of isolated, right? Because it's surrounded by mountains. Well, this took a very long time for this place to come back after Phylloxera. The, The rest of Spain, well, especially the more popular areas, the more populated areas, the more, you know, distributed wine regions got it back a little bit sooner, but it was tough here and it took years and years. And usually when these things happen, the vignerones or wine growers go back in and go, okay, that was, that was really bad. What are the grapes that really work here? So they isolated a grape called Mencia red wine grape. They are Harvard. They, they isolated a white wine grape called Godeo and a couple other blending varieties, and uh, Alicante Boucher, which is a sort of really dark-colored red wine grape. Actually, it's one of the only red wine grapes that have red flesh. Pretty cool. Called a tonterrier. And you fast forward to the 1960s, and this place now has co-ops. We've talked about co-ops in the past, and this is how this place got back to the modern world. But it wasn't until 1989 that El Bierzo was awarded a D.O. or a Spanish appellation. And it wasn't until the early 90s that what we can experience right now from this place and wine began to happen with young winemakers coming into this place, wanting to do something different, and working with this new, this not new, <laughs> old variety, but a variety that's not Tempranillo called Mencia. What is this? Godeo. What is this? Cante Boucher. Okay, we know that. And the way it works out here is that you have this place with surrounded by mountains, so there's foothills and there's flat land, sort of. As far as vineyards go, you have Bierzo Alto, which is north, away from the river, towards the more mountainous regions where, just like when we talk about in... um. Cote Roti, they are highly terraced vineyards, almost carved, or I've heard them say, woven into the mountains. And then coming south from the foothills towards the river, you have Bierzo Bajo. The big deal with the soil here is the concentration of slate and granite. There's clay as well, which you, know, you get more towards the southern, towards the river, you're going to get that. But the, clay, the, the, the granite and the slate really, really define this area. So isn't this crazy? This is not like any other place that surrounds it. It's an isolated area with a bunch of mountains, a river, and granite and slate using varieties that are not used anywhere else in Spain. This is cool. And what's even more awesomer is we have these wines on our market. Not as much as we'd want, but we want more. I have to tell you guys, I'm a big fan of these wines. I mean, I just, the, the wines made from El Bierzo and its surrounding areas are awesome. And we can get into those in another episode, but in, in El Bierzo, the thing is the Mencia variety, it thrives here, obviously. And it's one of those varieties that has kind of a murky past, but it's somehow related to an almost extinct native variety to Portugal called I think Jean Tinto and is thought to have traveled from that area to El Bierzo when a group of people or somebody or, you know, a caravan or something was coming back from that tomb pilgrimage thing back to where they came from. And the style of this wine is... And it kind of almost has a dual personality because the old school style of making Mencia means it's a little bit lighter. If you, oh boy, I'm trying to compare it to another variety or two to kind of give you a sense of it. It's always tough doing this, but like the the sort of like savoriness and pepperiness of Cab Franc, but not as much peppermint, more on the savory side. And it can be kind of light, like Tempranillo light, but has that savory note to it. But also it can be deep and dark and full-bodied. Because, like I said, it's 1989, this DO just began. And there are aging requirements for these, for this red wine, because it it does, you know, it, it needs some time in barrel and in in uh in bottle. And there's a crianza and there's a there's a reserva. But the style kind of depends on where. You're harvesting the varieties from. Are you doing a blend of with the more austere sites with the more fertile sites? It doesn't, you know, depends. But no matter what, these are medium bodied, a little bit full, but more on the medium bodied side. They're savory. They're actually kind of meaty. It's a little bit of pepperiness, and they're just there's something about Mencia when you smell it. And there's there's it has an earthiness to it like you were not going to get anywhere else. It's just so awesome for food. Forget about it. It's an amazing food wine. The other wine they grow there is a white wine grape called Godello, And Godeo is native to this area. Again, a very murky past. There's there's connections all over the place with this grape. There's even a connection to this grape in Hungary, which is really crazy. I mean, it makes sense because of the whole pilgrimage and stuff like that. But the beauty of Godello is they are primarily going to be very mineral driven with good grippy fruit. I mean, what I mean grippy fruit, is like, you know, the fruit is there, you can feel it on your palate, but there's like a, there's a frame to the wine that minerality kind of comes in and keeps it nice and clean and beautiful. They're wonderful wines. And with all that minerality, meaning very high acidity, these actually can be long lived white wines. Did you know? I mean, it's like, did we even know Godello was around, and did we even know that it ages? It's often barrel fermented, which kind of gives it a little more structure to it, and um, just they're great wines. The thing about these wines, Mencia and Godello, which sometimes are also blended with other varieties like Alicante de Boucher and some other white blending varieties, maybe to grab a little more acidity, but is although there's these generalities, because it's a fairly new wine region, I mean, you know— because of like the modern dio happening in 1989 everyone has their own style there's some very old school going on in bierzo there's always some new school going on in bierzo it's kind of a old world meets new world in the small appalachian producing amazing stuff one thing about Mencia, and you might come across this when you taste them is sometimes Mencia gives off a little bit of funk. Now, this has nothing to do with what people call, quote unquote, natural wine. Not about that at all. It has nothing to do with Britannomyces or Spoilages, has nothing to do with mouse or Band-Aid or any of that. This is just a natural compound in the wine and it kind of gives a really, I don't know, it kind of adds the depth and complexity of Mencia. And it's not very overwhelming, but you will get a sense like, oh, man, this is an earthy wine. Especially the more darker, more dense ones, you'll get it. But it's not off-putting at all. It's part of the complexity of the wine. It's very cool. It reduces a little bit with age. But the thing about Mencia is even though it takes a minute, there's some aging requirements, it's really good in its youth. It does age a little bit, but in its youth is when you really get all the sort of upfront fruit-forward character and that spiciness being kind of woven into the wine. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And for food, forget about it. Okay, I could go on and on about this stuff, but this is El Bierzo. This is Mencia. This is Godeo. This is not what people normally think about when they think about Spain. But because these wines are on our market, it's time to go out there and really get into these wines. So if you find one, let me know. Take a pick at Vine Keith on Instagram. I want to see it. Next week, we're going all the way down south to southern Spain to a place called s And if you think this wine was different, wait till you learn about Sherry. Vine Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. Day. See you next week. EJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites, ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.